Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. The Podcast Playground. This is Buzz Knight, and this is the Taking a Walk podcast. Welcome to another Taking a Walk classic replay. We released this one back in February, and I still hear people talking about it. I recently heard from Jim, who lives outside of Pittsburgh, who said he was first introduced to the Taking a Walk podcast from this particular episode with John Anderson from Yes. It was a blast. Even though it was virtual, I loved it. He actually referred to me prior to the interview as Mr. Lightyear. He was the unmistakable voice of Yes. So many great years, soaring vocals, great personality. We'll talk to John Anderson from Yes on this classic replay next. Well, John Anderson, I'm, I'm truly honored and grateful to uh, have you on Taking a Walk. You've been a large part of my life uh, for, for so many years. Excellent, Buzz. <laughs> so when was that moment in time when you first realized that you were a musician, that you were stuck in this business? At what moment was that? When I stopped working on the farm with my brother, because my brother and myself we worked on this farm about a mile or so away from the home in Accrington, northern northern England, and uh, we get up every morning five thirty and all all weathers, you know, snow, rain, or shine, whatever, and we we get on a bus and go up to the farm, and uh, we got on the farm and we go out and start milking the cows and shoveling a lot of cow poop <laughs> and singing we sang all the time together because we were fans with the Everly brothers 
This is 1958-59. And then Buddy Holly came along, and so we sang Buddy Holly. And, and then uh, what's the guy with the dark glasses? Um, Roy Orbison. Roy Orbison. What a what a guy. And uh, so basically, you know, we we we. Uh, my brother had a band, you see, uh, and they were called the Warriors, or sometimes the Warriors. <laughs> and uh, there were two singers. There was my my brother and a guy called um, I can't remember his name, but he he was he was he wanted to be a hairdresser, <laughs> so he left he left the band. So my brother said. Why don't you join the band? You know, we can do Evelyn's and I'll do Elvis Presley and you can do Roy Orbison. And so I said, yeah, let's do that. Screw this working hard on the farm. I wanted to get out and tour the world, not knowing that it would happen. But, you know, you wanted to. And that's, you know, that's when I started to realize being in a band was more fun than shoveling a lot of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Some it's might true. say it was a different version of shit you had a shovel at times, right? Well, I don't want to, don't want to go there. <laughs> uh, but it was a breakthrough for me to, you know, to realize that uh, we could travel. We had a van and we traveled and all over England and Scotland and Wales. And uh, eventually we went to Germany to follow the Beetle Trail. Now, the Beetle Trail was very simple that... You play in a club, eight hours a night, and then you go two weeks there, and then you go to Munich, then you go to ha uh, Hamburg, Copenhagen, back to Köln. Köln. So that's what we did for about six months. And by then, we were frazzled. My, my brother left the band, and I'm with the, with the guys. And I think I took a lot of, um, what was it called? Acid. <laughs> Just like everybody else did, you know, the Beatles had Sergeant Pepper and Revolver and everything. So music was going, you know, and that's that's how I stayed in the whole idea, because, you know, I just had a problem that I kept hearing music in my head, like big time ideas. And, and uh, <clears throat> I go to see the guys in in the in the bedroom next door. I say, come on, guys, it's 10 in the morning. Let's go and rehearse. And they would say, F off, John. <laughs> and for the second morning, I went to and I said, guys, we've got to rehearse. Come on, guys, we, we could be a great band. F off, they all said, in unison. <laughs> and so I packed my bags and left the band. <laughs> and that was probably the best thing I ever did. It was kind of frightening, but I did it. Do you remember the first time you heard Sgt. Pepper and what your reaction yeah. was? Hamburg. I was in Hamburg, and my, my friend uh, Brian Chatton was a keyboard player. He had a hat with a balloon hanging from it that with, with a hot air. And it, so the balloon was up in the air like that. And we were actually singing all the songs because we'd spent all night singing them. And that's all we did all for about a week. We sang every song, every word. And smoked a lot of marijuana. <laughs> and a few, a few tabs of acid, you know, come on. It was rock and roll. So that, that whole London scene in 1968 uh, was a hotbed of 
of real creativity, right? Everything seemed to, all styles seemed to blend together uh, musically. There was a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Can you talk about some of those styles then as Yes was, was first formed? Well, I think the, 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 the great music that I was hearing at that time was uh, Buffalo Springfield, the Beach Boys, great recordings, um, Zappa, oh my God, you know, it was like, and then I, I got turned on to jazz by, I met um, Keith Jarrett, <laughs> he, was, he was 18 right? at that time, young guy, and then I started listening to a lot of very various music at that time, and, and uh, that's when I went to London and I, and I met Chris, uh, and we were sort of like brothers right away, and we both had the same intention, and we both loved uh, Simon and Garfunkel. The album had just come out. You bridge over troubled waters and just great new music. And that's that was London. And it was all like that in New York and LA, everywhere in the world. Uh, we weren't alone with the idea that music was like a, a, an open door, <laughs> like of because you didn't. Because I was probably by then about twenty six. I thought I was too old to be a pop star, so I just wanted to write some music and. And I started studying uh, Stravinsky and Sibelius, and that's changed my life. You know, I've, I've just I've just been walking over the hills and far away around the, where I walk every morning, listening to Rachmaninoff's Third Piano Concerto by this lovely lady called Martha. I can't remember her last name. Arg- Argonaut. She's a, 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 a an incredible. Uh, uh, incredible uh, performance, and uh, I've been listening to it for the last month, every day. You know, every day you keep learning. You know, you, you learn structure, and that's what I was doing with Chris and the, the Yes. When Yes started, all I could think about was structure, and uh, you know, and let's just do this kind of an idea, that kind of idea. And happily, at that time, everybody listened. You had a description of a band that you saw that's pretty incredible that really influenced you called the Mahavishnu Orchestra. And your review of that, uh, seeing John McLaughlin and band there, um, I love it how you said after seeing Mahavishnu that you couldn't breathe. It was such an experience. Unbelievable. It was, it was like everything rolled into one. It was like Zappa meets this band meets that band, and all of a sudden this band on stage, and they didn't have a singer. He just played this music, which was a miracle in, in a way. Me and Chris stood there, and we'd had the same experience about six months earlier with uh, King Crimson in London, watching them do their first show. They played the whole album in the court of the Crimson King. And it was magnificent because they just learned it, just recorded it, and that was their first performance in this club. But seeing Mavishnu was like another level, and it just—I um, think it sort of opens up your state of consciousness, you know, about music. And uh, and that time, I was uh, lucky to meet Vangelis and start working with Vangelis, and that was another stepping stone to musical sort of discovery well so when you were working at the marquee club that was a place that you encountered a lot of people as they would roll through and play there everybody from um pete townsend and some other notorious characters Uh, (laughs) one of them was Jimi hendrix who i think you 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 encountered Uh, everybody everybody encountered Jimi hendrix 
What did you guys do together when you hung out? Me? I just, just nothing. I was, I was stunned. I actually saw him for the first time in Munich, and he came back to the house that I was living in. I was living in the closet. These two lovely girls that were looking after me because I was out of my brain, and uh, he sat down and smoked a joint with me. And he didn't say anything. He didn't have to say anything. He, he just performed on stage like a, a, a god messiah from from another world, you know. And uh, then I met him again. Um, he got up and performed with Ras and Roland Kirk on a, in a jazz club in London for an hour, spontaneous. And that was my first uh, real, real taste of pure jazz, you know. Wow. Um, uh, so, so with stimulants, you encounter Jimi Hendrix. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, he was a nice guy. He, you know, he was, he'd, he'd been there and back a dozen times, you know. That kind of guy that you know, he knows who he is, what he does. So in terms of these these major influences, the Beatles as an example, Simon yeah. and Garfunkel as an example. So Yes would then go on in those two instances to honor those artists by, by covering their music. Uh, can you talk about those two uh, amazing examples of uh, the tribute Yes did to those to those artists with the great music that you put out. Well, it was it was only uh, <clears throat> we, we went on tour um, when we first had our first album. We went on tour with um, Gosh, I'm going to forget his name. That'd be terrible. Um, Freedom. He had a big song called Freedom. Well, Richie Havens. Richie Havens, yeah. So Richie Havens and his two guys who were with him were were magnificent. They they would put on such a great show every 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 gig. And uh, there was a song called No Experience Necessary. And I said, Come on, we've got to do this uh, in honor of uh, Richie. Man, what a beautiful guy. And that's what we did. And uh, I remember we used to do um, as an encore. We used to do. Um, you tell lies that you I can't see. You can't cry because you're laughing at me. I'm down. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna, we're, I'm going to do that next <laughs> next spring. I love that. It's but you also thing. did every little thing, too. Every little thing, yeah. You reminded me. God, yeah. I think we were just searching for what to what to rehearse you know we were, we'd rehearse a couple of ideas me and chris had written chris had written one i had a couple more ideas i think it took a, a little time for us to tour together and get to know each other better with uh at that time it was tony k and peter banks and bill bruford you know it's funny because when we first started rehearsing with his with chris's band the drummer had left to get a gig in he had a, a gig in france and I say, why? Why is he leaving the band? We, we, that's first day, you know. We, done, we haven't even started. He said, "Well, he gets, he's getting paid." And I thought, "Oh yeah, <laughs> I get it." That's <laughs> where so we got Bill Bruford. And then you would you would do this amazing version of America, uh, yeah. as well. Um, what a amazing song, and what a, a, a great version that Yes did. Yeah, I remember Pete, we said we're going to do America, and then we didn't see Pete for a, a day. He came another day later, and he started playing 
which was a great part of the, the song itself. You know, it was, I think that was it. But now Keith Emerson had done it on keyboards like crazy, wild. I mean, that whole uh, West Side Story was a, a boon for musicians because it was just so beautifully done. Great songs. So the first tour was quite a quite a band, bunch of bands together. The first tour was was the Who, Rod Stewart, and Small Faces. Joe Cocker, uh, uh, yes, and the crazy world of Arthur Brown. <laughs> yeah, Arthur Brown. He, he would sing fire. He had this sort of uh, crown that was uh, gas lights, and it would light his head up, and it, all, all the fire would come out of his head. <laughs> it was a great show. My, everybody went on for 10 minutes except the Who. They played as long as they want because they were the Who. And Pete Townsend actually spoke to me on the last gig. He said, he came up, behind, I, I was watching Joe Cocker on stage. And, uh, and I met Joe Cocker when he was 16. It's a lovely story, which is in my memoirs, <laughs> the story. And uh, so Peter, a very tall guy, stands behind me and he's watching, we're watching Joe. And he said, John? And I thought, Pete, Pete's talking to me. <laughs> Your band is very good. I just want to let you know, your band is very good. And I kept thinking, Pete Townsend is talking to me. (laughs) I can't believe it. And then he said, I'm doing an album about a blind, deaf, and dumb guy. What do you think about that? And I said to myself, Pete Townsend is talking to me. I didn't know what to say, you know. What do you say to that? And then Tommy came out, and that was just extraordinary, you know. Did all the bands on uh, a tour such as that, did everybody get along? Was there was there peace and harmony on the tour? A lot of drinking. <laughs> In those days, a lot of drinking and a little bit of uh, marijuana. <laughs> yeah, everybody got on well, you know, yeah. No issues. No. That came later, you know. That came later in in, in the dark days. <laughs> yeah. So, um, when you think of favorite venues uh, that you've played with, yes, whether it be um, big stadium venues or smaller venues, what are some of your favorite places that uh, that you uh, still enjoy playing? Well, of course, you know, no matter where you play, the audiences are great. It just there's so many places that we played um, over the years with the yes, uh, magical, very magical times, and uh, I reflect on that when I when I'm on tour. I, lo- I actually love small theaters. I played uh, my solo show in New York at the BB uh, King Little Club yep. around the corner on Fifth Avenue, 42nd Street, whatever. They were great shows, you know. And then we do Madison Square Gardens with Yes and what, what the hell? All these wonderful people, 20,000 people for five nights. And you go, I can't believe this is happening, you know. So you have, uh, you know, in, in life, you know, you have extremes. So, you know, now I, I'm happy. I'm more happy just to tour. Um, 
I've been touring with these young teenagers, the Academy of Rock. Paul Green, who invented School of Rock, has the Academy of Rock, and we've toured last August, which was just incredible fun because I said to them, why don't we do, you know, close to the edge, guys? You know, and they all said, okay. <laughs> they just started doing it. You know, it's like they didn't argue. They just said, okay, we'll do that, you know. And uh, they were just brilliant people, uh, young people, very wonderful. Uh, and you, you, you get the chance to do that in a lifetime. You know, we, we did it 20 years ago with the School of Rock, when it was the School of Rock. And I've done it a couple of years now with the Academy of Rock, and we're going on to next summer, Europe, with Academy of Rock kids. And I, I feel like a kid when I'm with them until we do a selfie. <laughs> we do a selfie, and I say, who's that old guy? <laughs> it's me. <laughs> it looks uh, so, uh, the fun looks so contagious at the, the School of Rock events. Yeah. Because, you know, they're, they're not beaten up yet. <laughs> Hopefully they'll never get beaten up emotionally about this crazy business that we live in, you know. And survival is all down to music. If you can get your next level of consciousness about music, that's a survival thing. And it makes you want to just make more music, whether, it's, whether it reaches people or not. It's not the point. It's just making new music. And uh, it was only about... Gosh, it was shoo, 15 years ago when MP3s came up in the computer. You could use an MP3 and work with people around the world, you know. Send it, and I put an advert on my Facebook saying, musicians wanted, send a minute of your music, and if I like it, I'll get back to you. And I got about 100 people over a period of a year or so. And I got back to about 20 of them, 25 of them. And I'm still in touch with them because they were very, really talented and they understood that they could create music and I would sing something that I would never sing with anybody else because it's them, because they are this music. And uh, I met so many wonderful people over the years via the internet. So that's an interesting idea that music should never stand still in your state of consciousness. You've got to next level, next thing. I gotta say, I'm gonna sing Rachmaninoff's third. <laughs> I started writing lyrics to it because they're beautiful melodies, you know. And I thought, well, well why not? I'll, I'll probably write some uh, lyrics to Rachmaninoff's third piano. <laughs> Keep me out of trouble. Music really is a, a healing force, isn't it, John? Yeah, for sure. I, I remember as a kid, you know, I'd sit by the by the uh, radio where the radio st stood on the floor, and I'd sit by it and I'd listen. And the things that I remember are um, Vaughan Williams' music and uh, Host, Planet Suite, Mars. It used to freak me out <laughs> as a kid. And, and then you listen to um, such beautiful orchestral music. And then, of course, as I said earlier, you know, you, you, you start listening to uh, very American music. Uh, a lot of rock and roll is, the essence is American. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of, because uh, where, I, where I was listening to was um, old, uh, they called it skiffle in England. And, and it was actually songs from uh, country and western. So the country and western were the birth of rock and roll. I don't know how it happened, but there was a certain element of um, whiskey. 
<laughs> or something like that. Get the drummer to you know really stick to it, you know, bass stick to it. And uh, oh, Chet Atkins, what an incredible, incredible guitar player, brilliant. So all that stemmed from American energy, and of course R and B came from American. So we've sort of uh, mishmashed everything, I think, and it's kind of cool as well. So we have this mutual friend, uh, Lee Abrams, who yeah. is a uh, legendary uh, consultant, inventor, innovator, um, and uh, he certainly was gracious to, to connect us. Talk about what Lee Abrams means to the band, yes, and to you personally. Well, it's, it's kind of a, a crazy story, but um, I think Lee will enjoy this is that. He used to come and hang around the band with a couple of other three other guys and we'd see them in Miami or we'd see them in Chattanooga or see them in, in New York. Or, there they are again. It's that guy again with all his friends. And, and uh, so we got to know each other and he hung out like a fan of the band. And he was a very interesting guy, but I never really connected with him closely. Chris did. Chris, Chris and him got into a whole world together for, for a while. And then the s- strange things happened, but I really got into the idea. I've been listening to, um, I've said this many times, but I've been listening to Sibelius's uh, Seventh Symphony, which is a, a glorious piece of music. And uh, <clears throat> I was on tour doing uh, some can't remember which t- tour it was, but I was definitely fragile. It was a fragile tour, and um, I was listening to this music, and then it I put it on, and then after a while I'd listen to it, and then it stopped. And I'd look at the the, the cassette, and it was like it said, twenty six minutes long. The Seventh Symphony is only twenty six minutes long, and up until then I've been listening to symphonies that were always in three parts. That, first, second, and third movement. But this was the first 26-minute piece that held my state of mind. And uh, and I just went, wow, that's amazing. And at that time, around uh, America, we were playing um, a lot of colleges. And the, the, the college radio was FM radio. And they would play the hell out of, uh, you know, Starship Trooper, which is like seven minutes long, where any other record uh, radio station would play anything under four minutes, John. You know, three minutes, 33, it's perfect. So it really made me a bit confused that there we were making Heart of the Sunrise. (laughs) It's a piece of music, you know. I'm sorry, it'll never get heard on the radio, though. And... uh, so I thought, wait a minute, I found radio, that's the key. And I got together with Steve, I said, Steve, why don't we just do this music and we'll make it into a long-form 20-minute piece of music. And then he said, um, I've got this, this idea. He goes, close to the end, round by the corner. And I sang, down at the end, round by the river. Because I've been reading uh, Herman Hess, Siddhartha, who found a spiritual energy down by the river. So we sketched out, during the course of the Fragile tour, we sketched out an idea for Close to the Edge. And interestingly enough, we started recording it, and Chris was on board, and Bill loved it. Everybody loved it, and the idea of it. 
and what we're going to just do, Close to the Edge and two other songs. That's all it is. We've got FM radio all over America, you know. Meanwhile, behind the scenes in America, Lee Abrams came up with an idea. <laughs> AM radio, you've got 40 songs to play in the space of whatever, and that's what we're going to do from now on all over America. So by the time we released Close to the Edge, there was nowhere to... And it, there was no FM radio. So it was like, Lee Abrams, you naughty boy. <laughs> but then, you know, a few years ago, we bumped into each other on tour with the kids, I think it was, and 20 years ago, 10 years ago. And, you know, he's a lovely guy. And he's, he's kind of my, he's, he's like my, um, what's the word? Uh, guide to what's happening in, in 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 the world on many different levels he's such a smart guy so me and jay we, we just love the guy when we go out for dinner whenever we're in chicago and but i i he sends me a weekly update of what's happening in in the world and he's right on the money there is that that we're sort of going the wrong way on every kind of level that one of the craziest things that, that, that hit me about a month ago was watching uh, with my my grandkids. Uh, I was watching um, children's TV, and it's it's pretty wild and crazy. But then there's these adverts that are just aimed at the kids who are just waking up to life, and they're dangerous. They're very dangerous advertising. It's very dark and dangerous. I don't like it. And then, you know, we all know that the media media is just making money because that's all they're interested in. They don't care what the advert's about, sort of thing. And that's been a very dangerous position to figure out that how how can we move forward consciously if we're teaching our kids to go and buy something? They, they don't really need that much, but it's like materialism, isn't it? And if materialism... And this was taught to me by a wonderful guy called Long Walker, uh, a beautiful uh, Native American guy who, who walked um, the length of America to ask for justice for the treaties that were never kept. Anyway, he said, young people, they're caught up in the materialistic world and they'll never come back. They'll get lost in the materialistic world. And it's nothing to do with Madonna. <laughs> yeah, right on. Well, Lee is Lee is he is a Sherpa to where we are in the present and where we're we're headed uh, in the future. Yeah, I think it would be good if you know, stick him on TV. Come on, you know, come on, Lee, put on a show. <laughs> so, in closing, I would like to get your uh, reflections um, on the loss of uh, Jeff Beck. Oh God, I I was. It was only a couple of months ago. I was listening to Jeff Beck. Uh, I, I just I'd, I'd seen him perform live. I'd seen him with the Yardbirds and I'd seen him in London. And he was he was he was such a, a character that you could I could never speak to him at all. You know, he just got that look about him. Don't fuck with me. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but man, he could play guitar like nobody. I never heard anybody play like that. And uh, a lot of people discovered how to do it. Brilliant, brilliant artist. 
And it's, it's just natural that eventually they have to go home, you know, like we all have to. And that's okay. The same with Alan, you know, my best, he was my best man, you know, Alan White. Yep. But, you know, eventually he, he had to go home. And same with Chris, you know. So people keep uh, heading in that direction. I think it's just the next world. It's another world. It's another, not this world, it's the next world. And that's what I sing about quite a lot these days, that we're living in uh, uh, a very transitional world. And we don't need to look very far to understand the next world. I think all you have to do is sit very quietly and listen to the birds sing. Ta-da! <clears throat> and that's my final word. <laughs> Thank you for the joy that uh, that you continue to give us. Uh, good luck on School of Rock or anything else you have up your sleeve in, in this, this year. Um, oh yeah, this year I'm doing the Bang Geeks in uh, where are, uh, April. Come and see the Bang Geeks and John Anderson doing epics and classics. The Bang Geeks. Somebody sent me a tape of them performing Yes songs in their studio, and I thought, wait a minute, they sound just like the record. Not not just like the just like the record. And a year ago, I got in touch with the bass player Richie and said, Richie, you're crazy. You're playing. Yes, songs exactly like they were recorded. And he said, yeah, that's what we do. I said, well, it's amazing. Why don't we go on tour? With you? I said, yeah, with me. We could go on tour and do, you know, the classics and the epics. Because I, I, I've always wondered, nobody's going to play the epics like they could be played. And he said, thank you. <laughs> I said, okay, Richie. We should do it. And we actually have been rehearsing yesterday. And they sound really, really good. So it's going to be a great show for anybody who loves Yes. And we're going to be touring the East Coast in April. Uh, and then probably later in the year, um, the West Coast. But very much later, like December, January, something like that. Never a moment for you, John Anderson. No, no, I've got to get on with the next project. I was, I was, and that's it. I'm going to sing uh, the melodies from uh, Rachmaninoff's third piano. I love it. Well, I hope next time we, we, we won't be virtual taking a walk and then we could actually take a walk in person. But uh, I feel like I would, it was just about there with you. Buzz, where do you live? I live outside of Boston, John. Well, come and see the show. You better believe it. I will be there. I'll get you tickets and you can backstage meet and greet. But we don't do meet and greet these days because the COVID's coming back. No, I can't get into that. <laughs> well, it's not coming back. Don't worry. It's okay. It's just... <laughs> so everything's going to be all right. I'm very grateful, John, for everything. Thank you for uh, being on. Take care, Buzz. Taking a Walk with Buzz Knight is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.